Betsy, Jonathan, Edith, thank you for the music this morning. How we need it on a day like today to be encouraged and to be uplifted. Let's just give our choir a round of applause, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your hard work. We're continuing our study in First Peter and got good news. We're going to conclude next week with First Peter, so we'll be done with the, the book. And we've spent a lot of time in it and because it's a good book. It's kind of, to me, it's like the book of Ephesians. I can only go a couple of verses in the book of Ephesians without diving deep into the wisdom of God. And First Peter has been that for me as well, and I hope it's been an encouragement for you. But today, we're going to look at the Ambassador's Medal, a study of a believer's reward. And uh, for those of us who've been in the military, we serve and we get these chests full of medals and we kind of walk around like this and we're real proud of them and some of them are for various things but you know they were faithful service and and for uh, gallantry and combat and for recognized action but some of them we'd, we'd make fun of them like the one I, I got in at the end of the Vietnam War in 1975 and we got that that last one on the lower right hand corner and we used to call that I was alive in 75 metal you know we really didn't serve in uh, Southeast Asia, but that was the National Defense River, and we got that, and we thought that was, it didn't have a lot of significance for us, but we did serve in that period. And so these are, these, uh, are given because of recognized action, hero- heroism, and some mean more than others. And when you look from left to right, there's, there's higher rewards, and then they go, uh, lower rewards. But there's nothing that compares to the Congressional Medal of Honor, and it's our nation's highest award, and that's, uh, given for service uh, above and beyond the call of duty. And we recognize those that earn that. And many of them earn it posthumously, meaning they've, after they die, and because of the great sacrifice that they've made. But it's recognized by our nation, and it's important. But when we look at uh, medals and rewards, uh, God will reward his people. Um, and that's where uh, we're, we're looking today about crowns, and he uses those uh, to reward his people. We're going to do that. It's interesting, um, so much of today's service is interlocked. We have clean hands, um, talking about uh, how we approach God, but also isn't that what we're being taught? And then, uh, you know, the the, the time with the, the children and how this all fits together. And, and here, the the Latin word for crown is corona so uh, perhaps we'll get our crown our heavenly crown with this coronavirus I hope not but um, hopefully God will use other means but uh, we are going to look at the crowns and in looking at the um, ambassador's medal this study in uh, a believer's reward it's I hope this is something that encourages each and every one of you because on a morning like today this is mostly family this is mostly People who are committed to the things of the Lord. And I hope that you're going to be encouraged and realize that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So if you would please, would you pray with me? Father, I pray for this study as we look at a believer's rewards. That you are no man's debtor and that you desire to honor those who honor you. So help us to understand it and realize, Lord, we do it unto you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Now, when we look at uh, what we've been looking at in First Peter, here we we talk about the purpose of his letter coming up. We'll look at this more in detail next week. But this is the true grace of God revealed in this letter. And he wants us to stand firm in it, regardless of what we're facing, the adversity of the time, stand firm in the grace of God. And we talked about um, suffering, and so much of this book is suffering and adversity for the cause of Christ. And C.S. Lewis had written that pain, suffering, adversity insist upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And who knows why God is permitting this time of coronavirus to be around us. And people are just irrational about a lot of the reaction. But God can use that. It's his megaphone to get our attention. You think we have control over some of these things? And as far as severity, this is nothing compared to what could happen. And... uh, Perhaps we as the people of God know the mind of God and can share the love of Christ uh, can be reasonable and, and minister to those around us when they're losing their heads. But God uses pain, suffering, adversity to get our attention. And I think there's going to be plenty of it here in the days to come. So, And probably more in the way of financial than anything, but it, it's, it's going to be there. But we need to be God's people with a with a word from him. Now we said God uses suffering and adversity in, in the life of the Christian. Last week we looked at uh, suffering and that we're to expect it, don't not to be surprised by it, and that we're to rejoice in it. That that God has us there. We're taking the the heat for Him. What a privilege! And if you look down histories, um, uh, the volumes of history, those who have stood firm for the Lord. What a great testament we have. And then we uh, things are revealed in suffering, our character or lack thereof, and how God uses suffering to chastise us and purify us and to refine us for his purposes. And then last week we talked about the reaction uh, to suffering, that we're to commit and or entrust our souls to the Lord when we're facing ad- adversity for him. Good advice from Peter, and we're to pay attention to it. I like what F.B. Meyer said. This was uh, insightful where he says, Peter once told the Lord to avoid the suffering of the cross. Now as Peter's writing to us, he, he thinks it's strange that he could have imagined anything else. This was God's plan that Christ go to the cross to redeem us. This was his plan. And Peter's seeing the wisdom of that. Now when we look at chapter 5 here, the first five verses deals with uh, the leaders and rewards. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then next week we'll talk about the attitudes in adversity as well as some closing comments that it will make and we'll tie it all together as we finish this great book. But in First Peter 5 um, verses 1 through 5, um, Boyd had read this for us. And let's just look at this. He says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Now, it's interesting, this word elder um, comes from the Greek presbyterios, which means uh, a presider over assembly. The terms bishop, elder um, are used interchangeably. And sometimes uh, it, 
means older men, as the term implies, but it also, it always means someone that's well respected. So when we have elders in our, in a church or a um, deacon, those, in those offices, these are respected men. And that's one of the reasons that our deacons now are up here and leading us in prayer. They, we, I respect them deeply and I hope you respect them and value them deeply because they're godly men. They want to do what's right and lead us as a church. And so that's where they have garnered the respect of this position. So, uh, it's always important. Now in verse two, it says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight and not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Now this word, uh, shepherd the flock, um, and we sometimes use the term pastor. You, we're, we have a pastor search committee, but that guy, is that Greek word, uh, poimen, and it means shepherd, leader, overseer the flock. And um, sometimes in our polity, we've made the pastor a very prominent person in our congregation, but uh, the truth is um, Christ is the chief or the great shepherd, and the leaders that he has in the church, whether it's your pastor, your uh, deacons, uh, those in, in various leadership roles, we're all under-shepherds. We're all under-shepherds. And that's important to uh, understand. And while we might have a lead shepherd within our congregation, we're all in this together. It's not just the pastor doing this. Now, in verse 3, it says, Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Now, this deals with our spiritual leaders within our body. It's not just the pastor. And you should never expect more of the pastor than you're willing to give yourself. That you're, if you expect the pastor to be up on a pedestal, by golly, you better be standing with him as well. And so when we have a pastor, we expect similar types of behavior and standards. So don't be unreasonable in your demands upon your pastor, but hold them up. And then we're to have all of us. And if you notice, look at the attitude here. It's not lording it over, but one of servant leadership. And you guys have characterized, have demonstrated and characterized that in your leadership. It's a servant leadership style because that's what the Lord Jesus did, and we look to him. And then it says, but proving to be an example to the flock. And the shepherd is leading in Christ-like example. I love what the Apostle Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you can't say that to one another and to your children, we need to look inside. If you can't say that, we've got some issues. We should be examples of Jesus Christ. Imitate me. As I imitate Christ. That's the challenge for every one of us is to grow in Christ's likeness that we're like Him. And if you can, if you can do that, you do as I do, not as I say, right? Or say as I do, not as I do. Okay. Um, you know how that goes. It, it's confusing. I sound like Joe Biden, don't I? Um, 
do as I say, not as I do. That's what it is. Do as I say, not as I do. But we should be able to do as I do. Do as I do. And what a great, how powerful a demonstration that is. And verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's the bulk of my message. We're going to come back to this verse in just a second. But it goes on in verse 5. He says, You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a mindset. We talked about the ambassador's mindset, and it's an attitude of humility. Peter, this is a recurring theme in the book of Peter, in First Peter 2, verses 13 and 18, and 3, 1 through 9. This is the mindset we're humility. We're not putting ourselves above anyone else. We're co-laborers with Christ. We're with us. And the question that you might ask is why, but and it's because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That that that's his you're God's man, you're God's woman when you know your God and you walk with him in understanding who God is and that we are not God. Back to verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is a great promise to those who are uh, serving as elders in leadership, the unfading crown of glory that's promised to us here in First Peter 5, verse 4. And so I want to just transition to talk about these crowns and about the believer's rewards and works. Because you're going to see something, and, and we as evangelicals have an issue with this. It says, uh, when we look at rewards in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, it's a clear and uh, recurring theme throughout the scriptures about the rewards that God has for us. And Jesus says, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. And this is, look at this, to give to everyone according to his work. To give to everyone according to his work. Now, this is where I say evangelicals, boy, we have distorted works. Uh, we have not given works their proper place in our theology. And I'll show you right where that occurs. Great passage here. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We always say, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. So you're saying, Pastor Todd, you can't be talking about works because we're, we're not saved by works. And I would say, absolutely we're not saved by works. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. Not by works are you saved. And boy, we've got to get that straight because it's not works. It's not good things that I do. It's not joining the church. It's not giving money to kind of placate a holy God. We're not saved. We're not made right with God based on our works. We're saved by the precious blood of Christ, sacrifice that paid for our sins. And so we let's not confuse salvation and the work that God wants to do us in us. And that comes in verse 10. For verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. The reason 
Assuming God saved you and didn't take you to heaven to be with him today, or the minute you were saved, is that he said, I've got something for you to do, and they're called works. They're good works, and I want you to do them because it's going to demonstrate the power of a changed life and you living it out day in and day out before a watching world. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to purify you through you becoming like me. And that we have the mind of Christ, the heart of God, the power of the Holy Spirit demonstrated in our lives day in and day out. And that's what he wants to do. And he does this when we walk in these works that he has created um, beforehand. He wants us to do these things. And so works has a proper place. It is definitely not for salvation. I like to think that works work out our our sanctification. This is part of the sanctifying process as we obey Christ and do these things. There's there's other verses that that complement this. this. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a work. You're keeping God's commandments because you love him. You want to walk in his ways. It's not you just sit back and do your own thing. No, we're going to walk in God's ways. That's a demonstration of our love and commitment to Christ as we do this. And then it says in Colossians, Paul writes, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So there, connecting our conduct to our reward. He wants us to know that. And that he is no man's debtor. He's going to reward you. Now, where we, we see uh, a believer's rewards, uh, we're going to be judged on what we do. And there are two distinct judgments that occur uh, for people. Um, the first one is the great white throne judgment, and that's a book of Revelation, and that is for unbelievers. Uh, if you remember last week, I, I described the, the scene in heaven, someone standing before a holy God, and their sins before him, and they would say, I didn't know, I didn't know that I needed to be saved by the blood of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for me, that I, if I trusted him as my what that he paid for my sins and I would be made right with you. And I said, and I went around the room and I looked every one of you in the eyes to say, I've told you, I've told you that we're that excuse when we stand before the throne of God in that great white throne ground. I'm going to be on the side watching this great thing and we're going to see that you're without excuse. And hell awaits. There's a way to escape. But for the believer... There's something called the judgment seat of Christ. We call it the Bema judgment. And that's described in Second Corinthians 5. The great white throne judgment is this great massive judgment where God is going to open up the books. We're going to be evaluated. Uh, uh, the unsaved are going to be evaluated on their works. There's going to be degrees of punishment in hell. Scripture teaches that. and But it's still going to be hell. And it's not a great place to be. No one that even contemplates it would want anyone to go there. But as believers, we have the Bema judgment. Here are illustrations of the Bema judgment. One is this, this is in Corinth where there's a, a stand 
And you see it's tiered, and there appeared to have one time been a seat there, and that's where the ruler would make judgments. And also it was used during the Olympic Games or the Ithmian Games that we talked about in Corinth, that they would do these things, and then they would receive rewards. We see this every time we have the Olympics. There is the you know, athletes on the stand, gold, um, uh, silver, and bronze. They get different awards they get a medal. And so we see that in, in this. This is a place of reward. It's not a place of judgment as far as punishment. It's a place of reward. Now, our works will be evaluated. I have to tell you that. And things with the wrong motive or, or for um, selfish reasons, um, those are like wood, hay, and stumble, stubble. They'll be burned up. They won't last. But things that are done for Christ, those things will last. I've heard a poem. Um, I'm, I'm getting dealing with uh, things that are done for Christ. Uh, this life will soon be over, and our life will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. So just keep that in mind. These are the things that are going to endure. These are the things that are going to matter. We talked about the Annie Armstrong. Those investments. You're going to meet people in heaven. You don't even know. They know you. And they're going to come up to you and say, thank you for giving to that Annie Armstrong. I'm here today because of that missionary that was there. And they told me about Christ. And I'm here because you gave. And you go, what? You're going to be amazed. You're going to meet people like that. Because that's the way... It works. That's the way God works through these ministries, these missionaries that we support. And so you're going to stand amazed. What's done for Christ will, is what lasts. Now, there's two words for crown in the scriptures. One is uh, Stephanos, which is the floral wreath. That's what the athletes got. They get that, that, that uh, olive leaf uh, crown. And it's given at the beam of judgment. And then there's the diadem, which is another word for crown. And that's the king's crown. That's the metal crown that that, that um, belongs to Christ the king. And it just makes a difference in, in how these words are used. But I like what um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it. To get a crown that will last forever. So you might be sacrificing some things now, but it's going to last forever. We have diff- we have five crowns that are mentioned in the scriptures: the crown of rejoicing, righteousness, glory, incorruptible uh, crown, and then the crown of life. The crown of rejoicing is for those who win others to Christ. This is sometimes called the soul winning. Crown uh, those that make disciples, teach and train others to grow in their Christ-like, get a crown of rejoicing. The second one is the crown of righteousness uh, for those who look for the love uh, and love the Lord's return. He says He's coming back. We need to be attentive and to live as if He's coming back today. And that's the crown of righteousness will, that will be awarded. Then the crown of glory. For those who faithfully uh, teach and preach God's word, that's where we're in First Peter five four, and and I want you that you, my friends who teach Sunday school, you're going to receive the crown of glory. 
for the, that time that you prepare, uh, the time with the children that you just prepared. God's going to reward that. And you might say, boy, does anyone get anything out of this? Or, or you get frustrated. Um, I, I prepare, I knock myself out in lessons and we have a small class. I wish it was bigger. Don't worry, you're going to be rewarded. He rewards us in our faithfulness. But this one in particular deals with, deals with the Word of God and sharing the Word of God. Uh, taking the choir, doing the choir. Um, you knock yourself out, practice each week. I'm amazed that some of our, our choir members stay for prayer. I know you're tired after that. But here you are do, uh, proclaiming the Word of God in song. Don't worry, he's going to reward that. And I want you to be confident of that. These, this is where this plays out. God is no man's debtor. He's going to honor you because you've honored him. And then there's the incorruptible crown. This deals with those who run uh, the Christian life, the good race of the Christian life. Faithfulness to the Lord. We receive that. And for those, uh, the fifth one is the crown of life. And this is kind of, I liken this to our Medal of Honor is that for those who suffer for the name of Christ, especially who lay down their lives for him, we receive the crown of life by being faithful to the Lord Jesus. He is very much aware of what you're taking for him and that you're faithful to him. And isn't that encouraging to know one day he'll recognize that. Now, what should our attitude be about these rewards? Well, certainly, we don't develop a preoccupation or, or just a, the wrong motives about them. Yes, there are our nature. We we would like to have these rewards, but not to be so preoccupied with them that all we think about is the reward rather than the giver of the rewards. Okay, so what I like is what Jesus says, and this is what our attitude uh, needs to be. He says, So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. That should be our attitude about, Lord, if you give us anything, that's awesome. That's fantastic. But we're slaves. We're just doing, Lord, we're servants of Jehovah. We're doing what you tell us to do, and I'm okay with that. That needs to be our attitude about it. But also recognize that he wants us to be faithful he wants us to be obedient. And that matters to God, doesn't it? It really matters to us. And so, in so doing, we should look forward to his commendation as opposed to his condemnation. This whole Bema thing is about commendation. And we live for, for that. I like what the Apostle Paul says, keeping this in mind as we press on. He says... In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We are going to be people of God that look forward to the return of Christ and that we're going to be in his presence. We're going to be loyal and faithful and obedient to him. And Lord, we live for, we long for that day. And he's going to reward us that um, that crown of righteousness. He is no man's debtor. He's going to listen. If the Lord Jesus gives gives a reward for giving a cup of cold water in His name, 
What do you think he'll do for a meal like was prepared for the Cobb family this week? Or the time that we have when we are able to have fellowships together? Or some of the cakes that you make compared to that cup of coal? This is, you're doing this as unto the Lord. And he's going to reward that. That's encouraging. I, I hope that you, we don't grow weary in doing good one for another. We're ministering to one another. And, and um, Warren and Jean and, and the Cobb family, they were so appreciative of the efforts just this week of Joe's passing and supporting that family in this time and the time they were have together. And next week, we're going to have a time of um, our men's, Baptist men's. Right now, it's still on for next week, the 22nd at... 8.30, we're going to have a great breakfast. And these men that come out to prepare it, yeah, they're fixing it for us, but they're also fixing it for the Lord because the fellowship that we have there is out of this world. So men, come hook or crook. You get, be here next Sunday morning. We're going to have a great food, but we're going to have great fellowship in Christ. And that's the value of it. And But they're doing it unto the Lord. And if Jesus will reward that cup of cold water given in his, in his name... What will he do for the efforts that are made in something like this? Now, when we look at rewards, there's other rewards than the crowns. You know, that's what our message has been to. We've just scratched the surface. But the thing I'm trying to do is to communicate to you, to encourage you to not grow weary in doing good. We talked about the crowns, but there's others. There's going to be heavenly treasure that's entrusted to us. Um, there's a promises to people who overcome adversity and and, and pain and sorrow in this life. And then there's um, a promise of a special authority of the Lord's possessions. And then the accolades and accommodations that the Lord himself will give us at that beam of judgment, individually. Everything else is laid aside. And he'll say, his Lord said to him, and this is from um, Matthew 25, his Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful with a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Wow. Do not grow weary in doing good, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're doing a great job. Keep that atmosphere of love and acceptance and forbearance one with another. Love covers a multitude of sins in each other. We've got enough fault, but we encourage one another in the Lord to live for Christ in this wicked and perverse generation. We live for Christ to be distinctively different. And that's why our time here is so valuable. And that one day, when the Lord gives you those crowns, we're going to take those crowns. Uh, the 24 elders are going to take their crowns and they're going to cast them before the very throne of God. And we're going to do likewise. We're going to cast our crowns before his throne. And what an act of worship that will be because we're going to be overwhelmed with this great reward and we're going to be able to use it to worship him even more. I want something to cast before his throne. I want something to uh, present to him. And so I'm going to uh, align with him and what he says is right, what he says to do. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be faithful. And one day, when we stand before that great throne of his, 
and we cast our crowns. What a time of worship that will be because he is so worth it. But when we talk about these judgments, I have to ask, where will you be on that judgment day? Will it be the Bema judgment, one of reward and well done, now good and faithful servant? Or will it be that great white throne judgment? Man, I hope no one in here has to stand before that great white throne judgment. The scroll is going to be open and, and your work's going to be accomplished. But man, it's, it's judgment. It's judgment because you've rejected Christ. We don't have to go there, folks. We don't have to go there. Please uh, consider, consider the mercy of God. That Jesus died on the cross as a ransom payment for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And that was God's economy. That's what pays for our sins. That shedding of blood. It couldn't just be any blood. It had to be pure blood. It couldn't be, it had to be sinless, spotless blood. And he did that Calvary's cross for us. And when we trust Christ, having done that for us, we can be made right with the Holy God. And all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. Ask him, Lord, would you save me? And he will not cast anyone out. So there's a difference. And we have a choice in that. Isn't that great that he allows us that? He gives us free will. We don't, he doesn't force us to love him. He doesn't force us to, to bow the knee here on earth. But one day, every knee will bow to the Lord. So we have a choice. And I hope that we're all before that beam of judgment one day. And we'll hear that well done, now good and faithful servant. Now as we close, I'm mindful of the sacrifice of Christ. And he wore a crown that we deserve. It's a crown of punishment. A crown of affliction. He took our Sin. He took our punishment. He took our place. So that we would not have to endure the cross. We would not have to endure the separation from God. Man, that's amazing. That is amazing. And what I'm going to invite you now, we're going to have our hymn of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come to the throne of grace. If you've never been saved, you want to talk to me about it, you want to make it right with God, please come forward. Uh, If you want to pray about anything, I'll be happy to do that as we sing, just as I am. I'm not coming with any fanciness. I'm just coming, just me. I'm coming to the Lord with my brokenness and to be saved or to be healed. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we've gathered as a people coming to the very throne of grace to ask your healing on our nation in this time of adversity. We thank you, Father, for uh, that we're able to acknowledge you in this. I pray that each and every one of us would turn from our sin and turn to you in obedience to walk this pilgrim's way with you, hand in hand with you, Lord Jesus. And that you would help us to be your instruments to a lost and dying world. To share the love of Christ in our actions and in our words. Now we pray, Father, that we would be mindful that you are the rewarder 
of them that diligently seek you. That you have established these crowns that one day will be presented to us. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in the end we'll reap thereof. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified by our lives because you are great and awesome, mighty God, worthy of our faithfulness and our obedience. And we pray for strength to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.